Hey guys, this is Josh. And this is James. And this is Well, I Never, the podcast where we watch movies that you probably have all seen before. But we have not somehow. You know, there are always those movies that are kind of in the pop culture canon that you kind of know about even if you haven't seen them. You know, uh, one of the past episodes we talked about was The Terminator. One of us somehow had never seen The Terminator. But you kind of have an idea of what happens in it anyway, right? I mean, I do now. Well, yes, you know, now you're all <laughs> caught up. So here we are back with another adventure, um, trying to catch up on all of you listeners and come come up to speed. Yes. Yeah, so, um, you know, what have you been up to since we recorded last? Any uh, Anything notable? Anything interesting? Well, it's been a few weeks. I would say that uh, in the past three days, we've lost about 15 feet of snow. Um, oh, my God, finally. You know, as well as 15 feet of my ennui. Because I can finally leave my apartment again. So it's nice to rejoin the ranks of the living, you know, such as they are here. But living in Minnesota, it's always great because it warms up to a glorious 45 degrees and you see jerks walking around in shorts. Oh my God, it's 100% shorts weather. Yep. You know, I'm driving around with my windows down and like not wearing a coat anymore because it's... It's a high of 43 today, guys. I'm wearing a Speedo right now. Oh, it's unsightly, everybody. (laughs) You're lucky this is a podcast and not a TV show. Uh, But apart from just generally being released from my my prison of winter, um, winter is coming. I What have I been doing? Oh, uh, Josh and I, for our listeners who don't know, we went to a Mezcal tasting this week. We went to a Mezcal tasting and we didn't get arrested. I know, before or after. Uh, I won't talk about during. But they did let us go um, with warning or less. So, yeah, like Mezcal is kind of a spirit. It's... I think only made in Mexico. I don't think you can grow it anywhere else. You can grow it in certain U.S. states, I think. Mm. But I don't know if you actually manufacture it. Yeah. So we went to this tasting of this new varietal that is... We obviously paid a ton of attention. (laughs) Oh, I mean, I paid attention to what was in the glass in front of me. And there was some guy talking at us while that was happening as well. But it's, it's delicious. It's sort of like tequila, but I guess they are not as alike as I had originally thought. Um, but it's definitely like a, a smokier variety if you get uh, several of the types. And what I found really interesting is that a lot of different people make their own flavor in their their local neighborhood that like other people a town over will never have tried. Because not only uh, are there just tons and tons of different kinds of mezcals throughout Mexico, there's also tons and tons of languages. So, you know, you can drive a county over and like you will literally not be able to understand the people there and vice versa. So they don't get a chance to actually like swap uh, their local um, version of Mezcal, you know, because they they don't know how to talk. Yeah. And the cool thing about that, too, is the host last night was saying that because there is this language barrier from village to village, um, everything is so compartmentalized. So he had mentioned he has a tequila or Mezcal from a certain variety um, that was just popular in the village. And everybody there was like, no, that, that plant has been extinct for 20 years. It doesn't exist anymore. So I thought that was really funny and cool. Right. And the language difference also means that the varietals, um, you know, town A will say, oh, yes, this is this variety of mezcal. And town B is like, no, it's not. It's not that at all. And then town C will have a completely different thing, but call it the variety of A. You know, so it's like, Minneapolis calls something green and St. Paul will call it brown and they're under the same label somehow. The lesson is the exact same thing. The lesson is just drink mezcal. I know. Well, speaking of drinking, uh, this is Josh's turn to submit me to something I have not seen before. So Josh, like how afraid should I be for our new movie challenge? I think you should be super excited because you get to watch big or Pee Wee's big adventure. Yes. I have not seen it. We're back on the Tim Burton bandwagon. 
Oh god, I hope this is better than Mars Attacks. It is better than Mars Attacks, I promise. Well, this is the very first thing he, do- he, he did. Uh, we'll check Wikipedia on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> grumble, grumble. But it's like definitely the first big splash he made. Like, yeah. This is his first big thing. And it did kind of set the tone for like that weird, quirky, sort of dark humor that Tim Burton... Yeah, I think he was kind of just stepping into it. Um, And the really cool thing that I learned about this is because of the success of this movie, Warner Brothers uh, gave him the first Batman movie to direct, which was really cool. So Pee-wee is like the prequel to Batman, I guess? (laughs) That sort of makes sense. That's how that works, right? When somebody comes and kills Pee-wee's parents in front of him, I'm sure it's just an easy slide right into that bat suit. You don't know who's wearing what suit. No one really does. Right. It could be the same person all along. You don't know. Um, so you're going to be watching Big Top Pee-wee. I would love to hear... No, no, no. no they're different, or, right? Oh, God. I keep confusing them. Yes. Well, Pee-wee's and, Big and Adventure. And same. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I kind of didn't know there was two so of Pee-wee's them. I thought there was just one. Pee-wee will be having a big adventure, but not at the circus this week. So what is your guess for what happens? What is your, okay, what so is your plot guess? What I absolutely know is... Is that this is kind of a spinoff of Pee Wee's Playhouse, the TV show, like the Saturday morning kids show that was like pretty popular. Actually, now that I'm talking, I don't know if the TV show or the movie came first, but I always assume that this is kind of a spinoff of the TV show. Like everyone likes him in a 30 minute increment. Why don't we stretch it out, you know, to three times that length? And what I know about the movie is that he has this fantastic, amazing bike um, and it's red and white and super awesome. And he, is riding around and he's giddy and gleeful and he chains it up somewhere to go do a thing and he comes back and someone has stolen it. And so the movie is about him tracking down the bike and he meets some colorful characters along the way. And I am only assuming that in the end he finds it again. And that's about what I know about this movie. All right. Well, we'll see if you're right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I could be completely wrong. You know, I could. Oh, we can always just throw out guesses as to what happens. But Mm -hmm. that would spoil the mystery, I suppose. (laughs) All right, well, we are going to go watch Pee-wee's Big Adventure and come back, and then we're going to talk about Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Okay. Bye. Stay tuned. Hey, guys, we are back, and we have watched Pee-wee Have a Big Adventure. James, what did you think? Well, oh my, that really was a big adventure. (laughs) It was funny because, like, I must have seen bits and pieces of this on TV or just heard about it through the years because this came out in, when was it? 1985. Yeah. Right. So like right when like my peers probably were seeing this and then reciting it on the playground. And so I picked, picked up bits and pieces here and there. So like there are a lot of things like, Oh yeah, that's where that's from. Or I've actually seen gifs or gifs. If you pronounce it wrong, it's gifs. It's gifs. I've seen gifs on the internet, like from this movie. And I had no idea that this is from like the Peewee movie. You know, like large Marge, like kind of like going crazy, like and she made a face just like this, and like it's this weird, creepy that gift. traumatized me, and I loved it when I was little. Right, so there was a lot of stuff uh, that definitely I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense. I kind of knew about that, uh, but putting it all into perspective uh, was a completely different matter. Overall, though, it was just wrong for uh, this target <laughs> audience. You know, like it was fine. Uh, what I wrote down is. Um, it's like watching somebody else's kid at their ballet recital. You know, you kind of wish it's all going to go well for them and, you know, they're really happy with the result, but ultimately, like, I don't really care. I don't have an interest in any of the goings on here. Like, this is not made for just adults. Like, I would say 
kids movies children's movies these days like the creators are getting wiser and that they kind of sneak in like adult humor or kind of like nudge nudge jokes for the adults the adults are, are just like rolling their their eyes for two hours but this is before that this is 1985 and like it's clearly only for kids and so as like a 57 year old watching this you know <laughs> um <laughs> It was just, like, not up my alley. It wasn't meant for somebody, like, in our demographic. What, what about you? Because you saw this as a child. Yeah, I saw what's it when like, I was super it, little. I didn't love it. What's it like revisiting? I haven't seen it probably since I was, like, six or seven. Um, and, like, the first half hour, I was ready for it to be over with. And then all of a sudden, I loved it. Um, yeah. Okay. But I don't think it needs to be a full movie. Like, it was really funny, like, small, like, bits. Like, the part where he, like, jumps to the swimming pool or, like... Any of the things where he's, like, through the Warner Brothers studio, like, it could have just been, like, a really funny, like, two-minute thing. Right, right, right. Um, it was really episodic. I yeah. guess kind of like um, the Monty Python and the Holy Grail mm-hmm. that we, we saw a few episodes back. And I was, again, writing just, like, and then this happens, and then this happens, and it's just one weird thing after another one. Yeah. And they barely tie together Exactly. At all. Like, loosely, there's, like, a quest to find the bike, but really, like, none of it really needs to be sequential. It... Yeah, it could have yeah. just been chopped up and so, a YouTube channel. Or so something. backing up to that, you know, I, I kind of gave my best guess about what is this movie about, you know, beforehand, and I would say by and large I was kind of on the mark. Yeah, you no, know, you it, were. It's really basically good. the hunt, hunt for this missing bike. Yeah, the only thing, and I think when I was like, I don't know, however little I was when I saw it, because I had seen the TV show first, and I was like, wait, why isn't the pterodactyl in this? Like, I was expecting it to be just like the TV series, which oh. had no relation whatsoever. Right, but. Where I think I was wrong is that the TV show came out of the movie. Yes. So I, I had to look this up, America. Of course, I had no idea what was going on. I guess this was like a stand-up special. Like this was something that Paul Rubens, the creator of Pee Wee Herman, like made up on his own. Like he was in the Ground Lanes, which mm-hmm. is like one of those like famous improv groups. I think that's the one out of Chicago. No, no, I do not know. Don't quote me on that. But it was the Ground Lanes, according to Wikipedia, which has never wrong. Um, and it just kind of developed from there. And then it was like a theater show and then it got picked up to be made in this movie, Mm -hmm. like right away. Um, yeah. So, but back to the episodic nature of it, like I wrote down, like seriously in sequence, it goes from he's working in a kitchen at a diner to now he's hopped a train and he's singing songs of the hobo to now he's at the Alamo getting a tour by Jan Hooks to now he's a bull rider in a rodeo to now he's in like a leather biker bar. And and seriously, that is the exact order of things. And there's, and he just kind of magically appears. Yeah. And you know, like why he's, or that at least he's questing around looking for something, but like really there's no tie in. Like it just, it could have been chopped up and remixed in any way. And it would have been the exact same effect. I feel but like. in a way, like it's great for kids. Like yeah. this is clearly no, a exactly. kids movie. And like the kids don't care. If, like there's plot continuity as yeah. I, I push my glasses further up my nose. Um, they love that it's just kind of sporadic and random and like, oh, it's like a new thing every five minutes. This is great. What's happening next? And there's dinosaurs everywhere because Tim Burton. Yeah. 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 So it's hard for me to like say if I liked it or if I didn't like it, you know, like I respect what they did, like considering who they wanted to Mm -hmm. watch this, but I was not that person that they really cared about watching this and retaining it and really getting into it. So it's like, it was well done for what they wanted to do, I think. And obviously it was very well received. It was like in the top 20 of the box yeah, office like it made, that year. It made 40 million that year. And because of its success, 40 million in 1985. Yeah. 40 million, in 1985, which is like what? 17 no. billion. <laughs> no, I'm, I think 
and two raccoons. I'm an English major. I don't, ma- I don't do math. I don't do math. I'm an artist. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it did really well. So uh, Warner Brothers let Tim Burton do the Batman movie, which we had also realized tonight that uh, Paul Rubens ends up playing the Penguin's father in Batman Returns. Yeah, yeah. I guess this is, as we said, uh, one of Tim Burton's like very first or his very big first like big splash mm-hmm. and a lot of characters that kind of pop up in this one you'll see in different areas you know he does like working with like the same people if they mesh well so paul rubens has popped up and i guess a number of the character actors in this peewee movie ended up going to the tv show too oh really like peewee's playhouse well according to wikipedia but i i also have never seen the tv show so it didn't mean anything gotcha right. well what i found was that the actor who played Jombie the genie and the voice for terry the pterodactyl in the tv series was the guy in the red armor in sure. the movie, but I mean, we don't really see his yeah. from, from the neck down either way in either role. Yeah. Um, well, why don't we run through and talk about the plot of the movie? Such as it is. Yeah. Absolutely. So it starts out with P.B. Herman just lives in a weird house, um, which is awesome if you're seven. Uh, so he lives in this crazy house. He lives in this weird house, and it's a, it's a Tim Burton house, mind mm-hmm. you. So it's kind of weird and kooky, but there's kind of some like creepy stuff in every corner if you like are, are looking for it. And I certainly am because I'm a creepy person. Um, you know, there was something that like seriously looked like the, the pumpkin head man from return to Oz. I was into it sitting in the corner of his bedroom, which if I were seven, like <laughs> would like scare the hell out of me. Like what is happening? And there's like dinosaurs and bats everywhere. And like these, like it's like, the mistreated misfit toys in toy story. Like when Woody gets lost, like under Sid's, bed and you see all the toys that he's torn apart and given spider legs and like torn out and given them like multiple eyes like it's all of those except it's fun and gleeful (laughs) sort of sort of yeah like i wrote down that his decor was kind of terrifying for a child um so anyway he has this awesome house that does things because it's the 80s um and then he also has an amazing bike that he loves so he gets up in the morning, his house makes him breakfast, he pets his dog, and he goes to get his bike. And coming out of his house, he meets Francis, who is the fucking worst. Yeah, so uh, I, I kind of like there's no backstory, but you immediately know the interplay between these two You characters. just immediately hate Francis. Right, right. It was really well Unless done. Unless you're like, terrible yourself. So this guy, Francis, comes up and says, it's my birthday. For my birthday, my dad says, I can have anything, and I want your bike. So basically, like, here's a wad of cash give it to me and Wee says absolutely not and you know all but curses at him yeah. you know, for a children's movie yep um and then so yeah he tells francis to fuck right off um uh-huh. and then he goes and he goes to the magic shop as one does um and then he goes to the bike shop where he meets um dotty the frustrated love interest best friend who is played by eg daily um, and I don't know who that is. So I'm that's a huge, weird for me not to know. Who I'm a huge is. nerd about voice actors, and she has played so many um, huge, huge roles. Like just listening to her talking voice, it's funny. Like you hear Tommy Pickles from Rugrats. She uh, did the voices for like just look up her IMDb page. She IMDb page. She voices. Yeah, you said like the continuously Powerpuff everyone. Girls. Yep, she does the Powerpuff Girls. She has like constantly worked. I think she had a very minor music career in the '80s. Um, I don't know. I'm a huge sound actor nerd, and I. I'm really nerdy about E.G. Daly. And she's yeah. in this movie. I think this is the first time I've seen her um, play herself as a human in a movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the bike gets stolen and he kind of uh, loses hope in, in continuing to live, essentially. You know, goes to the cops. They're no help. You know, he faints in the bike shop. And then basically... Wait, I just want to stop. C- 
cops are not helpful in the eighties? <laughs> what? It is a recurring motif. <laughs> Whenever like we come across a, a movie set in the eighties and there are police uh, officials in it, they don't get much done. And Pee Wee actually says to their face, like cops don't do anything. And then he meets a guy in the road later and they're like, ah, cops can't do anything. Like they're worthless. Like, so it was definitely a, a theme carried through in this yeah. movie. Agreed. Uh, but then he kind of puts it together and it's like, who would want to steal my bike? Francis, you know? And so he goes to confront uh, him. Francis. And I kind of liked that, you know, like the first half hour, I was just kind of sitting with my arms crossed and silence. Like, okay, well just power through this movie and get it done. But when he confronts Francis, like that, like was the first time that was actually enjoyable to me. There's this big thing where like Francis is taking a bath, which <laughs> means like a huge indoor swimming pool. And he's like playing with these huge uh, submarines and like battleships and aircraft carriers, you know, like in an indoor swimming pool. And so like Pee-wee does this like running leap and like basically like, belly flops into the pool and like, and they're wrestling in it. And it was actually really funny. It I was out loud. That was my, like, the first time I would say I actually laughed. I think this is when I was finally like, okay, no, this is funny. Yeah. But, you know, he can't convince Francis to say, oh, I stole the bike. Uh, so he goes to a tarot reader, and she uh, is is shown to just be making things up and just kind of says, uh, it's in the Alamo, in the basement. And so we're off to go to Texas. We don't know where Pee Wee lives, what his hometown is, but it's clearly not in Texas. There's palm trees, so I'm convinced it's California because mm. palm trees. But right before, right after then, actually, before he starts his big trip, you see Francis paying off like some rando street hooligan. He's like, get rid of the bike. I changed my mind. He's relentless. He won't stop looking for it. So that so Francis did steal it. God, Francis oh, is the he's worst. The worst. He's the worst. So, and then it's just kind of like a series of random encounters, you know, um, he's hitchhiking and he meets up with an ex-con who still has handcuffs along, like around his wrists, but he's not that bad because he just got so mad that he had to cut the tags off of mattresses, which I think I like kind of rang a bell for me. And yeah. that's why apparently he, he was locked up and he's escaping from that. And then to get through like a cop trap, like I want to talk about this. I did write this down. He was like, leave it to me. Like, I'll get us through um, this this road stop for this ex-con. And, like, the next thing you see, like, Pee-wee is in full drag. And he's, like, playing a woman. And, like, oh, it's me and the mister. And we're just on a day trip, blah, blah, blah. And they're acting like they're really into each other. And the police... I think there was real romantic spark And the there. policeman, like, actually says, like, miss, can you get out of the car, please? And Pee-wee does. And... He says, oh, like, what can I do for you, officer? Officer's like, I just wanted to see it. Get a better look at this getup, you know, and, like, Pee-wee has to spin around. Oh, do better, weird. 80s cops. Do it better. It was weird. I mean, can we talk about, like, Pee-wee is hitchhiking, and he has, like, the stereotypical, like, hobo thing. Like, it's a stick yeah, he's got a bag on a stick. with, like, yeah. a, a bundle of clothes tied yeah. to it. Like, that's it. It's maybe as big as his head and somewhere in the middle of this he has an entire outfit to slip so if you go hitchhiking remember to bring the wig always bring that wig and like a 1950s house, that wig. house coat oh yeah <clears throat> and then it's large marge which i've heard the name large marge but hadn't mm -hmm. really figured out what it was yeah large marge part for some reason i remember that part as being super amazing i was horrified and i loved it so much i was a little um I guess I'm a huge fan of Large Marge. Yep. And then he tells the story of Large Marge at a diner, and it turns out she has been dead for 10 years. Ooh. 
Yeah. And then we never hear about her again. We never yeah. hear about her again, but then also they have this like weird memorial shrine to Large Marge, and she had been dead for 10 years. In this diner, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And then I think I, I said it be, uh, earlier that it, then it's just kind of like a bunch of non sequiturs. You mm-hmm. know, he hops a train and he's singing songs to the hobo and he goes to the Alamo and it turns out that it doesn't have a basement. So who tells him that? Jan Hooks. Jan Hooks. Is, this movie had a lot of like surprisingly large people who weren't really that big at the time. Um, but are real, well, big and exciting, I guess, for me now. Um, so, yeah, including Jan Hooks. Yeah, I was excited for Jan Hooks. Um, and then he kind of randomly is riding a bull at a rodeo, and then he's randomly in a biker bar, but then he gets in an accident while he's he, he's made friends with all the bikers, and they give him a hog, and he runs off at, like, right into a billboard. Yep, but before he does that, a few notable things happen in the biker bar. Like, he does the iconic tequila dancing scene. Yeah, yeah, you know, the yep. da 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 With the shoes, yep, I remember doing that on a table when I was little. And I needed money two weeks ago. Yeah. Um, and then also, I noticed um, the biker, the character credit as Biker Mama is none other than Cassandra Peterson or Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. Yeah, it was like she looked familiar to me because, like, the face looked familiar, but, like, obviously she was not dressed like Elvira, yeah. you know, like in the black dress. She didn't have, like, the black font. She had red hair in this, which I think is probably closer to what her natural That's her natural is. color, yeah. And I did notice earlier on the Magic Shop there was a poster for Elvira. Funny. And then later on, um, she shows up. She was actually in The Groundlings, too, so... Yeah, there's so that she was in The Groundlings well. with Paul Rubens and Phil Hartman, who mm-hmm. was one of the, the co-writers Correct. of this. Phil Hartman was actually listed first as the co-writer before mm-hmm. Paul Rubens. So I guess, like, this is... Or maybe that was just alphabetical. I yeah, don't I don't know. Sure. I don't know about alphabets. Um, and then he ends up at the hospital where he has like a creepy clown dream. A creepy clown hell dream, which is parts of it you can see like the beginnings of Beetlejuice's like afterlife thing coming together. Yeah. And then he sees an advertisement where his bike has somehow ended up in Hollywood and is being used in a movie set. So he goes to Hollywood and he steals the bike and there's a magical tour while he's like trying to get away on the bike through all these various movie sets while people are chasing him and larger and larger carnage is kind of left in his like at one point so he gets he finds his bike he's riding the bike trying to escape it um and at one point he ends up being chased by santa claus godzilla um a couple of water skiers skiers, water skiers Uh actual bike cops um Mm -hmm. golf carts yeah yeah and just wreaking havoc on all these different productions, just trying to get their their things shot and their movies in the can. And uh, long story short, too late. Um, basically, the head of the studio says, "Hey, we'll you know drop all charges, but sell us the rights to your story, and they make a movie of the movie we just saw." And then everybody that we've met throughout the entire movie comes to see the movie, including the waitress who had moved to France. And she took the bus to go to France. As one does. From Texas. Um, her and her new boyfriend, Pierre. Oui, oui. Yeah, so that was kind of like a longer recap than we normally get. Like, Josh, like anything kind of stick out in terms of, well, that was weird. Why do they do it like that? Or, you know, other cameos that kind of caught your eye? I mean, all of it was weird, but that's uh, what we knew we were, it was in for. Um, yeah, I was surprised by all the cameos. Phil Hartman obviously makes an actual appearance um, later on as like an entertainment lawyer or yep, the, the, something. The movie within a movie, yep. Pee-wee is now played by James Brolin. Yeah, and Morgan Fair- his um, friend Dottie is played by Morgan Fairchild. Yep, yep, who looks great as always. Um, yeah, so like a few things I jotted down that like kind of made sense to me that I had sort of known about, but uh, hazily so. 
you know, the, the music, the soundtrack. So this was done mm-hmm. by Danny Elfman, who's like a frequent collaborator of Tim Burton. And like the, the kind of like mad scientist on a mission sort of feel, yeah. you know, at the beginning. Is that the same song played in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? Because I, I kind mean, of maybe. remembering it. Yeah, you know, the same you kind of have the, like the, the barreling, like lower notes, like, dun, 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 yeah. but you have like kind of like the weird high notes, like the Twitter. Like, yeah, like the total like circus overtone. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like this creepy circus again. Yeah, like back to the Beetlejuice. You can kind of see where this is coming into play. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing that like as soon as like we were informed that it's going to the Alamo, I kind of like, oh, I know what's happening. Like something I know about this movie, like without fail, is that he's calling home. He's calling Dottie. He's like, I'm in Texas. And she's like, what? He says, I'll prove it to you. And he steps out of the phone booth. And he screams, the stars at night are big and bright. And like everybody around him immediately jumps into this song with the deep in the heart of Texas. Like like random dozen people just jump into that song. I've never been to Texas, but if they don't do that in real life, I like, don't and know And I about know it. that song like from this movie, even though I've never seen this movie. It's just like a thing somehow that has um, come at me out of, out of the either. Don't know. And of course, like the tequila, the tequila dance is another thing that I just kind of knew mm-hmm. about. Um, from like video montages or just people doing it. I yeah. Guess. Yeah. Anything the, else or should we, the only other note, like before we start getting into the awards that I really wrote down that I kind of loved about this movie is that I love character casting from the 1980s. You know, when he's like road tripping with this ex con guy, like he's not like really, really weird looking. He's not really, really creepy looking, but he's not really, really handsome. He's just kind of like good guy. And I love that, like, you have, like, normal-looking humans. Like, they're not at the, what far extreme end of the spectrum, you know, in terms of, like, good-looking or goofy-looking or beautiful or terrifying or, or whatever. You know, like, you have just, like, normal-looking people. Like, um, the the waitress, like, from the diner is another person. It's like, yeah. you're just, like, a normal human. No, that's... You know, like, like you're, you're sort of attractive. You're sort of plain Jane. But, like... Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you're just like a normal person. And yeah. I loved that. And I honestly wasn't sure if some people were supposed to be like caricatures or stereotypes of something, you know, as you're going in there. Like they go in the in the diner and I swear there's this guy. It's like he's dressed like Holden Caulfield from Catcher in the Rye, gone to sea. Because like he's always supposed to like wear that hunter's cap and that plaid button down. But like Catcher in the Rye is set in the 50s and this is like 30 years later. So you see this like 60 something guy dressed like holding coffee last night. And then like the waitress's boyfriend is like after Pee Wee because he thinks he's putting moves on the waitress. And I swear like he's modeled after Bluto, the villain from Popeye. No, I didn't see it until you showed me the picture like, of Bluto and they look like it's dead on. He's exactly right huge. He's, he's got, got like the feet tall. He's got a red shirt on. He's got a hat. He's, he's got, a beard. got like the dark black beard. He's got like the, the same hat. But anyway, like I love the, the casting in this movie. Like you have all sorts of people and they're all really interesting to look at. Like, mm-hmm. like they're all character actors. Like no one except like when you get to the movie within the movie with James Brolin and Morgan Fairchild is, you know, a, a typical, quote, movie star. Everyone is just, like, a normal person. Yeah. It was very... I, I always notice that, too. I always, like, there's a definite era refreshing. when all of a sudden, like, oh, it's when they cast of people who are just good at acting and not just because yeah. they were, like, spectacularly, like, attractive or, or notable looking. Yeah, so, like, well done, uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. I, like, loved it. Like, even though, like, we were just skipping hither and yon from plot point to plot point without any sort of connection, it was sort of something to take in and enjoy. 
So that's my last note before we get into Perfect. the awards. Perfect. All right. Well, let's get on to our awards. Um, we've got three awards that we like to give out around here. Um, the first one is the You're the Real Hero Award. So this is the one where we talk about who really was a superstar for one regard and maybe didn't get credit for it. Um, my You're the Real Hero Award is Dottie, um, my favorite voice actress, E.G. Daly, <laughs> because Pee Wee went off on this big adventure and he's got a dog. Um, and he just leaves abruptly, and then later PB's calling, begging for money, and she's like, oh, by the way, guess who wants to talk to you, and it's the dog, and I kind of forgot that he had a dog, and so did he. He just leaves town for weeks on end, being like, good luck, I hope you find some scraps to eat. Yeah, and the phone conversation is like the dog clearly yelling at Pee-wee. Rightfully so, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yes, thank you, Dottie, for saving the dog. James, who's your uh, recipient of the You're the Real Hero Well, just a quick addendum, you know, Dottie is too good for Pee-wee. Pee-wee's not into it. Let him go, Dottie. Like, they're bigger fish, they're better fish, like, they're fish that are going to be into you, because he is... I, I don't know what's up with him. He's weird. Um, so, my You're the Real Hero Award is is someone in front of the camera, which may be the first time uh, that I've ever done it. And it's, like, the guy who played the villain, Francis Mark Holton. Like I said earlier, like, the first encounter of this guy just sauntering up to Pee-wee saying, I want your bike, like... You know no backstory about this guy, but you immediately know how these two interact. You know that they have a history. You know they don't like each other, but they are in each other's lives. Um, but yeah, so you know that they have this history, and the guy is just supposed to be very two-dimensional, uh, very kind of cardboard cutout, like evil, nefarious, for no other reason than I want what I want, and I get what I want, and that's it. Like, that is the whole thing. It's a children's movie. And he does it really well. You don't need any backstory. I hated him immediately, so I guess well done. And I hated him immediately. Like, it was great. Like, I thought the the movie actually lost something when he wasn't on screen, when there wasn't, like, more of this guy playing Francis, who I think we looked up and has done kind of nothing. Not a whole note. lot, really, yeah. Nothing of note. But, yeah, Mark Holton, well done. Yeah. All right, the next award is the How Could You Award. This is where we just want to shame somebody, something about the movie. So at one point, while P.B. Herman has abandoned his own pet, he, <laughs> incur- he encounters a pet store that's on fire. So he goes in, saves all these pets. My How Could You Award is, who is this pet store owner? First of all, there's a bunch of illegal exotic animals in there. There's a full-on monkey in there. There's snakes, there's birds, there's reptiles. It's... It's nasty. Half the animals probably can't legally be sold. And it's broad daylight in the middle of the day and the pet store is on fire and he has fled the animals. Leaving P.B. Herman to do his dirty work, which is save all the animals. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know in that case if I would put it on the pet store owner in the movie or just really sloppy writing. Because this is like right after the chase scene and then somehow he's like ridden the bike over the studio fence and he's somehow in like suburban America and there happens to be a pet store on fire immediately. Mm-hmm. Like... Like, there is no break. Like, that's it. And suddenly nobody's chasing him anymore. And, oh, I have to stop running away to get my bike and save the the pets. So don't be an irresponsible pet store owner. Or an irresponsible writer who writes about pet stores. Also, that's bad. But anyway, my How Could You Award is actually Paul Rubens, but not for the reason you are thinking. (laughs) I think, like, the way he acted... Uh, works for the character, works for the target audience. But when I was reading about this, apparently this was like a stand-up special um, he did on the theater circuit, and then it became like an HBO special in like 1980-81, according to Wikipedia. And it had like some more adult elements in it too, because like HBO, you know, like no kids are really watching it at that point. And like I was reading some of the synopsis, and like there are obviously like some more um, risque elements, like I guess he's writing... 
uh, to pen pals around the country and some of them happened to be in prison, you know, that sort of thing. And, but that was all stripped out for this movie. And that's what I'm kind of upset with Paul Rubens at. Like, like I said earlier, kids movies, children's movies, family movies, whatever you want to call them nowadays are really good about kind of winking at the adults in the room once in a while, like giving them something. So it's not just a two hour slog of the happy little elves or what have you. Like there is something to make the time pass a little bit better for them. But in 1985, that was not done. And boo earns Paul Rubens. Did you catch that. the innuendo in the dinosaur scene though with the waitress? Uh, lay it on me. What happens? Right. So Simone, the waitress, um, is living an unhappy life because she wants to break up with a boyfriend and move to Paris. So after Pee Wee finishes washing dishes, he wants to leave and she's like, will you watch the sunrise with me? So he's like, all right, cool. So they climb into the mouth of a dinosaur, just go with it. And, um, you know, they're, he's noticing that she's unhappy with her life. And he's like, you know, a lot of people have dreams in life, but they don't accomplish it. And they have, you know, a big butt. What's your big butt? And then the boyfriend who looks like Bluto is kind of listening and he just hears Pee Wee say, let's talk about your big butt. Um, and then so she's talking about like what the I'd be happy butt part of her life. Um, so she talks about it and then he gives her some advice and then she says, wow, Pee Wee, no one's ever given it to me like that before. And then the boyfriend just hears her say, wow, Pee Wee, no one's ever given it to me like that before. Right. And then he tries to hit him with a bone. See, that's not a new where there's an actual dinosaur bone. And I disagree with you. Like that is clearly meant for the children. It's, it's really, no one's ever given it to me like that. Pee Wee is meant for the children. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> Don't you remember like talking trash with like kids on the playground? Like, you know, swears, you know, like it in quote marks like whenever anybody said it it's like oh you're talking about sex like come on like kids are filthy they are terrible <laughs> yeah but I, well <laughs> speaking as as a reformed child like yes they were the worst <laughs> um no like i totally think that was like or i mean even if the kids didn't fully understand like what you give giving it to me Pee -wee, like yeah they sort of understand that it's something not yeah i guess it was yeah it wasn't as overt as some of the things that we see today with, uh, but like, the, i i don't think there was the really jokes. anything meant for parents or anything for adults absolutely not so the how could you award is just the writing staff have toning down kind of some of those more adult level jokes and just getting rid of them all should have unleashed phil hartman yeah all right. Well, the last award we've got is our rating system. So what we do around here is whiskeys. Um, one to five. Five means we need a five whiskeys to get through this terrible movie. One whiskey was like, I just need one whiskey, and I was totally fine. Yep. Um, I only it's, need... it's like golf. The lower the score, the better. Yeah. So I only needed two whiskeys to get through this movie, but I needed both of them at the beginning before I started actually enjoying it. It, it, it was a low whiskey score, but it took me a while to get into it. How about you? What you have? Yeah. This is like... A complicated one to to rate actually uh, what I what I wanted to highlight is like another instance in the movie so the scene where Pee-wee is on the train and he's with a very friendly hobo and it starts out and they're singing at the top of their lungs you know um, she'll be coming around the mountain all the verses and then they jump to like oh Susanna and then they jump to like another song and like the hobo is still like like pumping his fist, singing at the top of his lungs, like big toothless smile, like he's really happy. But through the montage, you see like Pee-wee like slowly being drained of energy until finally he realizes that the mania of this person is never going to abate and he jumps off the train to get away from him. And that is how I felt about this movie. Like it's just so unceasingly over the top that I just wanted to like jump off the train to get away from it. Like there's nothing particularly wrong with it or bad or evil. It's just, I couldn't even. So 
to the score, you know, it's kind of with a caveat, kind of with a, a asterisk you need to explain. I would say one. Like, oh. I only needed one whiskey. Nice. But that's only so I can hop on my bike immediately afterwards and ride away. Ride away very quickly. To the basement of the Alamo. I know. Cool. Chan well, Hooks will be waiting for us. Oh, God. We can only hope. <laughs> All right. So, um, that wraps up Big Top Pee But we've got some exciting news. Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Damn They're it. not the same. Damn it. All right. I feel better that you mix them up too. <laughs> um, but we have opened up some social media accounts. James, how can everyone slide into our DMs? Oh boy, you make it sound so sinister. I mean, it can be. Um, so we've got an email address and we have got an Instagram account. Um, feel free to send us positive reviews about how much you love us and how great we are. Um, you can send us PayPal's. You can send us yes. Send us all your digital love. Whiskey. We will be adding uh, the email and the Instagram address to uh, the page where you get this podcast, so you can click that link and come on by. Yeah, um, follow us, like us, send us hilarious movie memes. But also, if there's a movie that everybody has seen but you haven't seen, we want to hear about that too. So yes, yeah, send, send us, us recommendations. That email. Send us your favorite gifts from Pee Wee's Big Adventure, and if you have a favorite GIF. Unfollow us right now. We want nothing to do with you. We don't do this for you. (laughs) All right. Anyway, thanks again, everyone. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.